What's going on, everybody? Hope you're doing all right. But at the end of the day, I just don't know how you're doing. What I do know is that you're about to be doing a lot better. Fire episode coming at you today. Coach White, better known as Whitey from KCI, decided to hop on the pod. Big thanks to him. No thanks to his mic. Did do us dirty with a little bit of echo, but I'm sure you guys can deal with it. It's really not too bad. Just wanted to say that. Get it out front. Sorry about that. Not going to happen again. We figured it out. At the end of the day, me and Sammy are complete idiots. So, you know, get, cut us some slack, guys. Cut us some slack. If you think you should hop on, you know anybody you should hop on, just let us know, man. Link is in the description for the email and hit it up. <sighs> that being said, I think, I think you know what time it is, baby podcast time all right so today we're here with two times quasa champ whitey how has it been sir how's your your lockdown life been so far it's it's been uh quiet uh a lot of different things to try but just quiet relaxing yours oh it's been good it's been pretty boring like not that much you can do. I've been doing a bunch of relaxing myself. Is your PS4 game getting any better? <laughs> yeah, it's getting better. So uh, hey, we're, we're asking the questions here. Oh, okay. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So obviously you're a basketball coach. That's your thing. Did you play when you were younger? Is that what got you into coaching? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The the simple answer is yes. There is a more complicated answer, but um. We did not have basketball until grade nine in like I lived on the other side of London in a small town that's population is smaller than KCI's population. Um, so our high school had less than 500 kids. So sports were very limited just because of volume of people. Um, so growing up, I didn't do anything until grade nine. Um, and then in grade nine, 10 and 11, I played, um, and then we had grade 12, and then it was OAC or grade 13. In my grade 12 year, um, back in the days when I played, there was something called a midget league, so that was for grade nines only. And then there's a junior team, which could be grade nine and 10, and then the senior team was grade 11, 12, and 13. In grade 12, they didn't have a coach for the midget team, so I asked if I could do it. So it was kind of interesting that uh, as a grade 12 kid, I was coaching grade 9 kids and running offenses and running practices, sat out a game, and then played my game when I got for, for the, when the senior game happened. So, so yes, the short answer is yes. I played as a high school kid, um, but then I also coached as a high school kid. Uh, anything past that, or was it just high school? Um, oh, playing past that. Uh, yeah, I played club uh, my <laughs> – I, I had a shooting ability that got me recruited, and I played for Detroit Shock, a club team out of uh, out of Michigan, um, and then uh, did well there. Um, and uh, Michigan State and a few other schools had a look at me. I actually got a uh, 
an wow. opportunity and a, uh, I was recruited to go to Michigan State to try out for their team. Um, it was quite an experience. Um, just wasn't, couldn't dribble to the level with which you needed to at that stage. Uh, and then kind of just after not making a Michigan State team, uh, decided to go play volleyball at Brock. And, and really, it was, it was the dribbling that uh, held you back at that level. Because what, what year would that have been? Oh, dear Lord. 90... Era. 94. Uh, okay, yeah. So I guess by that time, dribbling had become a pretty important... It, 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 it had, well, when you're... When you're this is going to sound crazy, but when you're only 6'3", um, you are a guard. Um, and at that time, the sole role of just a pure shooter did not exist. Like, as, as a 6'3 yeah. kid, you better be able to get to the hoop uh, as well as hit shots. Um, so I could hit the shots. Um, I just couldn't go to the left to the ability that, that you needed to do. Do, do you feel that if you were given the same opportunity in today's game, you might have made it a little further due to coaching changes? Um, the game has changed so much uh, from when I played it to how it's played now. I'll be honest with you. I don't think my shooting ability would be any better than it was. It'd be about the same. The dribbling might be better, but at the same time, the answer to your question is that if I got better, that means everyone else that I was also competing against probably would have got better as well. Yeah, I'm just coming from like a rule perspective. It, it isn't like at, in the era that you made it that far, there might not have been a specific role that fit your abilities. But in today's game where shooters are a very common role on a um, college team, do you think maybe that would have I think, yes, I probably could have been like a... And again, I was offered a red shirt, which means you would have been on the team, yeah. um, stuck around with them, traveled with them, practiced with them. The only difference between a, a back then red shirt and today's red shirt is back then red shirt, you paid your way. So oh, I couldn't so really. Scholarship. Yeah, like it, it, you weren't getting free rides, like mm -hmm. you were, you had to pay. Um, so I just couldn't, in good conscience, ask my parents to pay. 80 some thousand dollars a year just for me to go ride the pines um would i have gotten a better chance nowadays the scholarships are so much greater now that like i think every kid on the team essentially gets a bit of a scholarship it might have helped um but it was a two-fold answer why i didn't make it yeah. uh, the first one was i just could not dribble where i needed to dribble and then the second answer is i wasn't about to ask my parents to put that much money out just for me to play basketball and for those listening as well just a bit of context with the red shirt you also keep um i believe you keep a year of eligibility is that right in basketball yes. I know you don't lose right. any eligibility yes yeah so if you if you redshirted your first year next year you come play you're considered a freshman or a red yes. shirt freshman yep. um even though you already had a year of experience so that's why it's yep. useful was, um, Izzo, was Izzo still there is it was State. not there yet this is before Izzo. So this is where, um, like, my roommate was Eric Snow, who played for Cleveland and went on. Um, I met a few others. And then, and again, I don't feel horrible because I lost my spot to Sean Respert, who set an NCAA scoring record, who also went on and played for the Raptors and is, had played in Europe for most of his career once his time was done in the NBA. Like, I didn't lose it to some nobody that didn't go on and was like, terrible. I lost it to someone that was very good.
So what you're saying is they had to bring in an NBA caliber player <laughs> just to knock you out of the starting rotation? If it was only that way in my head, I would love you for that comment. But no, um, I was trying to be his backup, and it just wasn't. It just wasn't there. Now again, to be fair to me, I had other offer offers after Michigan said no, thank you, and I said no, thank you to Michigan. It, but again, it's one of those ones in your head when you got that far, and you had an opportunity like in your head as a again, what was I, nineteen. As a 19-year-old, you've been given this chance. You're in a Division One university. You have people fawning over you. Um, you see that life, like I'm going to make millions of dollars as a basketball player, and then to have two old people walk up to you and say, well, you're just not quite good enough. I kind of didn't want to play basketball anymore. Like I had spent 10, 12 years, 12 hours a day, it seemed, building towards a goal just to be told you're not good enough. And then you have that realizing sit-down moment where you look around at the talent that you're competing against. And yeah, I just wasn't at their level. Yeah, it can be a tough realization, but it, it's it's cool that you actually did get to experience that. I went because, there. I gave it a shot. Right, because um, in, in life, sometimes failure is better than uh, just the, the not knowing than, than, than regret, right? I would agree. Because it's an answer rather than something that kind of eats at you. Yep. I just I just wanted to ask a little question. Um, how old were you, or kind of was was there a specific moment where you realized that you had the talent to go play college? Because obviously you didn't play till grade nine, so it probably kind of hit you somewhere. Grade ten. And, yeah. And 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 is there a specific moment, specific game, specific part of the season conversation? You remember? I just remember um, my coach was very keen on shooting, and it was. His thought process was, even as a bad team that only hits, and again, bad's relative, but a bad team would hit about 40%, 35% of your shots. So if you hit 40% of 100 shots, you're hitting 40 buckets. If you take 200 shots, you're going to score more points. So he wanted us to shoot a lot, so we did a lot of shooting work. I remember, I was, I'm going to say about my third game, I went on a hot streak. I think I hit like seven threes in a half. Um, and then the next game, again, I, I probably hit about eight or nine again. And then as you get stronger and you start developing stuff, like you, like I, I had range in grade 10. I, I truly was taking NBA shots as, as a grade 10 kid. Um, so, yeah, in about the third or fourth game, I started to start getting some 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 buckets. Did, did you play senior straight from grade nine or? We yeah we they took us they took there were three of us and again, the joys of a very small school sometimes are if you're athletic, as a grade nine I be you may be more athletic than some of the seniors that are older than you just because the nature of the sport. So there were three of us: uh, John Mack, myself, um, and and Ryan. Ryan McGann, we went right up to senior. And that that would be unusual nowadays for to have it, three grade nines going up playing senior. Uh, in or, or certain not nowadays, small, but at a big school at KCI. At a big school, that doesn't happen normally. Uh, and as a coach, I usually I, like I have, I have purposely never allowed it in our school at KCI. I just think, and speaking from experience, the conversations in a change room 
for a grade nine kid with grade nines is different than a grade nine kid around grade thirteens. Like the 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 life lessons, the the life things that a, a grade thirteen is going through with girls, sex, school, money, job, as opposed to a grade nine kid, where you're probably experiencing really none of that. It, it was it was difficult at times, just as a person going through it. So I have always tried never to put a kid in that position. Yeah, I, the, the, and, and, and that makes sense, um, right? Because people like to look at the talent, people like to look at the physical maturity, but often it's hard to judge, especially from an outside perspective, the kind of mental and emotional maturity. Yeah. And considering how rare it is that you get somebody with the physical maturity, the skill maturity, it's it's likely it's it's very unlikely that they also happen to have yes. the mental um, maturity that that goes with that. So it's kind of like an all the stars have to align. Yeah. Um, with that approach, and it makes sense to me. I would say like it has been easier when I coach the girls for that opportunity, just because emotionally for girls they're all, I'm gonna call it equalish. For boys, the maturity is so vastly different. Well, yeah, no, grade nine boys are just dumb. Like, well, a fart joke in grade nine boys could be funny for months, whereas you make one dumb comment as a grade 12 boy and they rip you to pieces. Yeah. So, um, Unless your name is Sammy Bigar. He'll, he'll break that streak, I promise you that. Yeah, so after, you know, you played uh, volleyball at Brock and all that, how did you end up landing your job at KCI? Um... Finished school, uh, <laughs> I couldn't go back to home because at that time my parents had moved to Florida, so I kind of really had nowhere to go. Um, so I have an aunt here in Kitchener-Waterloo that I came and lived with to try to just to get a place to live to for a home. Um, got a job at a couple restaurants and then eventually... Um, applied for what I do now uh, at KCI, and in 1999, hired. Did and you start coaching right away? or I did. At the time, Mr. Hain, who you may know, you may not know, was coaching all four basketball teams. He does some substitute work now, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he is a math teacher, a, a very good math teacher. Um, and again, he had carried the basketball program for years, Um he was all alone coaching, so Mr. Balmer and I kind of took the junior boys team, and he stayed with the senior boys, and then he and I did the senior, Mr. Hain and I did the senior girls together, um, and Mr. Hain did the junior girls together, and then I could last one year with Mr. Balmer, and then I kind of needed to coach on my own, um, just without that second voice. Um, Sammy will attest, I don't do well listening to others. It's kind of my way or it's not going to happen. Um, thank you for not commenting, Sammy. Um, but Mr. Palmer and I kind of did it for one year. We, we got some established things that we wanted and then I kind of just took over the, the, the junior boys. And then Mr. Hain and I had the conversation and I told him I didn't want to be just a junior coach. And I, uh, that's, a negative response and it's not a negative response so i took the senior girls since i'm going to say the year 2000 
he did the junior girls um and then miss mickey came along to pick up the junior girls and now miss um uh gingrich does the junior girls it's, it's been wonderful uh miss werner and i were doing the girls for forever together and it was a lot of fun with her um but then when mr hayne retired i kind of took over both boys program and Dear Lord, I think I've done both boys for about 12 to 13 years now. And then last year, uh, Mr. Balmer and Mr. Uh, Roberts took over the seniors and I did the juniors. And uh, I just wanted to jump back to what you said about how you were living. Yeah, you got a job working at um, restaurants and whatnot. Aside from the fact that obviously her being situated in Kitchener-Waterloo kind of led to you ending up at KCI, right? Pretty yep. obvious connection. Do you think that actually living with your aunt and having that job at the restaurant, do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is without that, do you think you'd be where you are today? I have no idea where I'd be, to be honest with you. Like, uh, literally, my parents, uh, in my second year at university, moved to Florida. Um, both had retired, said, we're going to Florida. Uh, and it was like, okay, what do you do for summer breaks now? Like, I truly had to figure that out quickly on my own. Uh, my aunt was kind enough to say, hey, come up to the cottage, and then where are you going to go live now? And I was like, I don't know yet. So she was like, oh, come live with me for a year. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, when you first started coaching, were you struggling at all, or were you always just this wise old man filled with basketball knowledge? Well, I think everyone will struggle as a coach as you start. There is so much that you have to learn quickly that takes you years to learn anyways. Um, was I as fun-loving a coach and did everyone love me like they do now? Uh, probably not. Um, I certainly was a louder... I'm not sure the officials enjoyed me as much back then as they do now. I, I will tell you I've mellowed quite a bit which i'm sure if you could see sammy's face right now is a reaction and a half um uh, but again my starting reference point of how much basketball i knew compared to sammy let's say yours right now i don't like i had a lot of knowledge to give i had a lot of coaches i had a lot of club experience i had played i'm like honestly i'm one of the few people that probably have played at a division one level or that were asked to play at a division one level, just your mindset and how you have to think three steps ahead is one of the things that gets you that invitation. So, but I, everyone will struggle their first couple of years as a coach, like, cause it's not the basketball you struggle with. It's just being able to communicate what you're trying to communicate without strangling the shit out of some poor grade nine kid. That's just stupid. Pass it to the post. I see. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, like back then when that was what the game was, throw it into the damn post, and they just wanted to jack a shot, it's kind of like, what are you doing? And how do you politely say that with mom and dad sitting in the crowd and not sound like a complete jerk? Yeah. Was there was there a specific game, maybe season you remember, that was kind of like a rude awakening to you that – that, that you had made a mistake, you had made a misjudgment, and, and you had to change your ways or learn from oh, it? Oh, dear Lord. My first three years <laughs> with the senior girls, we didn't win a game. Like, 
Wow. It, like to be fair, like and we had an like Elise Carruthers was on the team. Is that exaggeration or is that No, it? like she, honest to God, we didn't I don't think we want to get we might have won two in three years. And I had an all star on my team. Like yeah. she, poor Elise was, was an all star in the league and everyone knew it. But there was absolutely no like the girls around her couldn't even bounce a ball and didn't want to bounce a ball because Elise was there. She would do it for you. So for three years we sucked. We like we got hammered by 40, 50 points. So you're you come in as a coach thinking we're going to run this offense, we're going to do this. These are the X's and O's that are going to get this wide open. And then all of a sudden it's like you're getting your ass kicked. Girls hate the game. They're crying in change rooms. Like you have to change what you're planning to do and what you're trying to do. So yeah, for the first three years, it was humbling as beyond belief. Um, the boys were a bit different because they're two different animals. Um, boys, if I tell a boy to go run into the face first under the wall, 90% of them will do it just because that's what coach told them to do. So it was, we were winning our fair share of games, but were we any good? I don't think so yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. And then we had a couple talented years where the world changed for us. Like that's, that's when we had some very talented kids at KCI and, we were very successful, but yeah, no, honestly, my first three years with the girls, if we won two games, I think I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about playing well and not being that good. Personally, as a coach, what do you value more player development or team strategy? So this now, I have to clarify your question now, because see, I think there are three or four different coaches. So which coach are you asking me? Because I'm going to tell you, as a junior coach, my job is not to win games. If you are a junior coach, the only thing you're concerned about is developing talent. Mm. If you win at a junior level, it just means you've done a very good job of cultivating talent that you have. As a club coach, your job is to win. Your job is not to develop talent. Once you get to a club stage, you're there for winning. If you're a senior high school coach, you're kind of a bit of both. You're trying to win games, but at the same time, you're still developing talent. And then there's the next level of, you know, university, CIS, and all that stuff. Those guys are there, like, that. they're getting paid to win. They're not getting paid to look good. So my question to you then was, which coach do you want me to answer? Uh, Senior. Senior, probably. So restate your question because I forget what it was. So if you're trying to win um, under the under that like circumstance, right? That's your job as a coach. Sammy was asking you want to you want to ask a question again, Sammy. So which would you value player development more or team strategy? Like team strategy as a senior yeah. coach. As a senior coach, my job is my job is to get us to Wixa to win Wixa and get us to Kwasa. It's it'd be great to get to Offsa as a senior coach, but it's about strategy and what do I have on my team. And what can I do to make them the most successful? Now, you don't abandon development at all. You need to develop as you're going, but it is based on the system you're running. As a junior coach, I could care less if we win, and it's not about the system. And and I have done that. I have run certain offenses as a junior coach just because we suck at dribbling, so we will do nothing but a a dribbling offense to get us better prepared for senior. Is that part of why you don't like running zone? As a junior coach? As a junior coach, as a zone, now again, 
I'm living as a dinosaur, as you would refer to me as. Um, I came from an era where zones just were not played. Like there were barely any teams that ran zones because it was just considered laziness and you did not learn how to defend. The problem as a coach that I see it as good man defense is half zone. Good zone defense is half man. Like it's a quasi blend between the two when you become a good defender. The hardest part is playing man defense and that should be learned fundamentally first. So I have always tried to run uh, man to man defenses as a junior. But if you look at any of my senior teams, we run Tiger all the time, which is a, a, a Syracuse 2-3 zone. Like, we run that all the time. And most of my junior kids, when we get to playoffs, I will put that 2-3 zone in. And you should see just their eyes light up. It's like, holy shit. I see what you're talking about now. Like, these are the things that we're trying. And it's So it is a good blend. But, yes, as mm-hmm. a junior coach, I will only run man until playoffs. Um, and then as a senior coach, in truth, I mainly run a zone. And today's game, you kind of have to run a zone. And, and why do you, do you want to expand on why you need to run a zone in today's game? It is the whole point of today's game with all these four out and five outs is to clear space to allow driving lanes to happen. Mm-hmm. Your natural cause and effect then is as a defender, they're trying to create lanes. I need to clog lanes. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to clog lanes, a zone always has two people in a, in a, in a, in the post that'll clog a lane for you. Well, yeah, lanes, it, are, lanes are space, and zone is all about controlling the space yes. rather than the body. So Makes I, sense. And as a high school coach, I don't think there's that many teams that can shoot that well as a three-point shooting team that are going to beat you flat out on three-point shooting. So I'll give up some three points here or there, but I will not give up easy layups. Yeah, um... How else do you think the game's evolved since you started coaching at the high school level? At the high school level? Um, I, I, I think more kids, I think they're higher skilled entering high school than they were 10, 15 years ago. I just think that there are more club things happening at younger ages now for basketball. So guys and girls, and this is both sexes. This, this, this. It's just the way it is. I think more kids are playing basketball at a younger age, so they're coming into high school with far greater skills than they ever had coming into high school before. What the game has changed is these whole four out, five out system things, where you're where you're truly designed for kick threes, kick threes, kick threes, kick drive and kick, drive and kick. Like that's a, that's even a five year thing. Like in the last five years, that's kind of where every school in Toronto, that's how they play. Um, and that's just the way the game has evolved where it used to be like, again, I know I'm going to date myself, but we called it power basketball. There was something as a true center and a power forward. And they were different positions when I first started to play. In today's high school game, I don't even think there's really a such a thing as a true center. You just pitch your pitch your biggest, slowest kid as that position to go set screens, and that's what you call a center. Yeah, as as far as you said, um, there's more skilled players coming into high school. Yes. Do you think any of that could be attributed to Jamal Murray's rise just locally? 
I would go even further back in history and say that it's the Raptors. Yeah. Like before the Raptors came as a basketball person, you had no one to cheer for or emulate that you really could go see. You could watch them on TV. And if you were lucky, your parents had money. You could go to Detroit or you'd go, you'd travel somewhere to Chicago, maybe to see someone play. But now that the Raptors, like as soon as the Raptors and Vince Carter came along, kids in Canada got to idolize someone that they could travel an hour and go watch. Like, I don't think the Raptors get enough credit for what the Raptors have done for Canadian, er, for basketball in Canada. Like, if you look at all the big names coming out of Ontario in the last four or five years, like Corey Joseph flat out says if it wasn't for the Raptors coming to Pickering to watch him play and that he, he probably would have lost interest. Brady Heslip, who plays for the Olympic team and played out of Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, he's the same way. I'm sure Jamal, now again, Jamal might be a different story because he only played one year and then he was down south out of prep school. But his one year at Grand River, sure. Like I, I'm sure he idolized and, and just loved having Toronto. And there isn't a Canadian kid that doesn't know who Vince Carter is at the dunks. Yeah. Like there, there just coach? isn't. Did you ever coach against Jamal Murray? And how was I've actually <laughs> I've coached against both uh, the Curry brothers, Steph and uh, Seth. Um, when, where, when, what, how? <laughs> um, well, the dad played in Toronto. Yeah. And when he lived in Toronto, both boys pl- lived in Toronto with him and they played for the Toronto 5 0. So I coached club at that time. Like, I have my cousin Matthew, who is the club coach, is the, I coached him when he was in grade five, was the same age as Seth, I'm pretty sure. Um, we went like we would play against Toronto Five O, and it was it was incredible to watch Del Curry stand on a court five feet from the hoop with his son and just work on form shooting with the entire the entire Toronto Five O team, where everyone else is running layups and shooting all these big bombs. Like he was just working on form shooting with them, form shooting. So so yes, I can happily say as a coach, I have beat Seth Curry. Um, as a coach, Seth. What about Steph? What about Steph? I think we lost to Steph and his team because uh, okay. they were they. I think they were two years older than Matthew, so when we played against them, I think we we got beat. Now again, I'll be honest with you as a coach. When I saw him play as a was he fourteen, thirteen year old, he wasn't spectacular. It wasn't like oh my god, that's Seth Curry. He's going to be the next amazing, most amazing thing. You could tell their form was perfect in shooting. Like they had the they their their technique was sounder than sound. Um, it's the same with Brady Heslip, who you probably don't know, but he two years ago or three years ago, like was on the Toronto's reserved and has played in the G League and is playing in Europe and plays for the Team Canada all the time. He played at a Hamilton Wildcats. Uh, he, there's another kid as a coach we would battle and beat. Sometimes they would beat us. Corey Joseph out of Pickering. Uh, KCI lost to them, but it was a close game. Yeah. Um, for Jamal Murray in particular, you hear so many different stories just living in a Kitchener. Like, you know, one person will say that by grade seven, he could shoot money with both hands. While your local guy at the Y will say that, you know, he beat Jamal Murray in a 1v1 and he wasn't that good. W- would he be kind of in the middle or where would you, where would you put him on that spectrum? 
we knew as coaches that Jamal Murray was special when we first saw him at uh, at Grand River. So I can't I can't comment outside of grade nine because I really did not know him outside of grade nine. When we watched him at grade like playing for Grand River on that junior team, everyone we knew like I remember like my aunt who is a very big basketball person. She and I said. Let's go to, because they were playing a tournament in Guelph, and we drove to Guelph just to watch him play a game, just because we knew he was, like, we had heard so many great stories about how much talent he had. He just athletically, not basketball-wise, but just athletically, had what it takes to be good. And that's yeah. that's a tough conversation for some basketball kids that have skill, Jamal had the athleticism that he was going to be good, and then his skill came along as he kept developing his his athleticism. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to ask you about something, because, of course, you know, very athletic, very skilled. You look at it, Jamal Murray uh, currently stands at 6'4". Now, grade 9 kid, high school kid, he probably hadn't fully grown into his six body. 6'2"-ish. Yeah, 6'2"-ish, right? If you look at high school basketball rosters, generally you'll get some guys that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", but a lot of schools that kind of, that's the tallest you get. And you yeah. see and you see guys, you see coaches, chuck them at center. Yep. Jamal Murray is 100% a guard in the NBA. Yes. How and, do he you was, and he was at Grand River. Ex- exactly. And, and so that's the thing. You if you end up with a guy who's the tallest player on your team, but he handles the ball better than anybody on your team, how, how do you kind of deal with that? So, in, in my world, in my world, you're all guards. Like, uh, it's the easiest answer. Like, okay. my first answer to you is would be this. If you were any good, I would not be your coach at KCI. Like, first of all, and clearly... If you are any good at basketball, you are not going to be in Kitchener for very long. You you will be down south to a prep school. It's just the easiest way to get in. Yeah. There have only been a very few exceptions to that, and even Jamal followed that same guideline. He was at Kitchener for one year, and then where did he go to Dallas or Houston or yeah. something uh, for you, his prep you, school? You see, you see it with football as well. It's, it's yeah. just it's so developed in America and John House so far behind. John House is one of the few people, and he played out of Guelph, that played his entire high school career in Canada and then went to a Division I school. Um, but my answer to your question is, you're all to me. Like So every one of you work on your dribbling. This is why now games with all these four outs and five outs you're 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 getting turns out there anyway you're you're going to be a if you're 65 and above if you're going to play in the CIS you're going to be a pick and pop player unless you are have mad dribbling skills um but coaches see that right away so usually in in my world if you're put in the as a low post player it's because you can't dribble yeah <laughs> and and and, yeah. and I don't mean to insult all my post players but if you're thrown in the post it's usually because you struggle at bouncing the ball. Yeah. So earlier you talked about how all the coaches knew Jamal Murray was special. Yes. Like before he came to high school. 
Do you think there's yes. been a player since that who you guys have felt the same way with? For guys or girls? Because there guys. is there is the girl. Either. either. So the either. Natalie yeah. Ochongwa out of uh, Guelph Central or Guelph Centennial, she was, and she's playing in the WNBA. She, she, we knew she was going to be spectacular in grade nine. She just, and again, it's about athleticism. It is not about basketball. She was just faster, stronger, better than every girl we'd ever seen. Chelsea Auburn out of WCI, bigger, faster, stronger than any girl in Wixa. Uh, Jamal, as a grade nine kid, was probably the best athlete in high school basketball in our area. Like he was putting his, like he was dunking with ease. He was faster than everyone with the ball. It is pure athleticism. Um, Varga for the football. And again, I don't watch a ton of football on that. But when you hear about people talk about, is it Tyler Varga, I think is his name from Cameron? He just athletically was better than everyone. Faster, stronger. Like he had a bicep where most of us that think we have a bicep. No, no. He had a bump. A very large bump on his arm. Not just a straight arm. Um uh, Bryson Johnson out of St. David's, same thing. He was just faster, stronger than the other kids in the league. Like that, it's pure athleticism, and and that's where we can tell usually right away if kids are going to be have the potential to be something. Then the basketball skill will come. Because again, I will say to you that even a bad coach can teach a kid how to shoot. It's just repetition. Yeah. So. It's the athleticism that, that is usually makes the player great. Interesting question here. We asked Horn the same thing. You're right, athleticism, generally regarded, unco- uncoachable, right? Things yep. that are more mental, things that are more kind of or fundamental, where it's just repetition, repetition, generally regarded as coachable. Is there anything... Um, that has to do with kind of the mental aspect of the game that you find is also uncoachable. Hmm. I got to yes and no. Uh, like you either have feel or you don't have feel. I think there are things to improve your feel, but are you ever going to become good at it? And what I mean by feel is... Yeah, please explain. Um, if I'm under the hoop and I'm getting hit, do I have the feel to still put a ball straight up and in? Do I have touch? Can I just use my fingertips to softly tap that in? Some people have that and some people don't. Can that be taught, though? I can teach you to be better at it, which is... Like one of the reasons when I have teams that are not very good with their touch, I try to teach them to juggle. Like there's hand-eye stuff that you can do to improve that skill. Are you going to be the best at it? Probably not, but you can improve it. So it is a skill that can be improved and it can be taught. Um, X's and O's, that can be pounded in your head repetition. Yeah, you can yeah, do it yeah. positive or negative reinforcement, but that, that that's doable. Um, athleticism is just the one that you either have it or you're just too lazy to go get it. How do you, how do you feel about compete? Can you coach compete? Oh, sure. Does that stem from you or does that stem from the player? 
Oh, that's an easy one to teach. If you're going to compete, I'll play you. If you're not going to compete, I won't play you. That could be taught like that. Yeah. You didn't go for that ball. You're not playing anymore. That kid wants it more than you. So you'll learn if you want to play, this is what's expected of you. I know some coaches struggle with that one, and they'll call it their heart isn't strong enough. I disagree that their heart isn't there. I just think sometimes their heart needs, their brain and heart need to be on the same conversation on what is important from the coach's point of view. So, so that would be something you'd put on yourself. Interesting. I want to talk, you know, we, we, we've kind of gone over, you know, some prodigies, some people that you knew that were going to be really good. Quickly, I just want to say, I think the question that everybody's wondering, um, everybody on this call right now, and uh, anybody listening to the podcast is, do you think Sammy has NBA potential? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen Sammy play NBA quite a lot, actually. Oh, and what, and what NBA are we talking about? <laughs> Well, the 2K game that he plays on his PS4 or 3, whatever it is, Xbox, I, I've, I see him play that quite often. So does he have NBA quality there? Sure, but we all do that. <laughs> all right. I, I think the jury's still out on uh, on the NBA. I'll, I'll move on. The other okay. thing I wanted to say was, with, with all that said, uh, same exact lead-up, how do you think or do you have any um, – sort of ideas have you given any thought to how can canada kind of build basketball programs be able to have a respectable enough um development program so that these amazing players aren't immediately going to the u.s well that's easy but it's never gonna happen you have to pay them now like i understand you're gonna look at me and say but when they go to the u.s they're not getting paid but they're getting full rides to a Division One university, which is a payment. Um, and most of them are going to get shoes out of all this. They're going to get clothes out of all this. And right now, that is the easiest pathway to the NBA to get paid. They have done a great job now in the G League paying those players better. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be easier for CIS kids to join a G League now and are going to want as also yeah. the what is the is the ndpl is that the the titans like we now have a couple leagues in canada and where you can go and you get paid um yeah. and that's starting to come and the other part is truthfully is like teams have to let canadians play for the olympics like yeah. a lot of the time it's not that they don't want to it's that their team doesn't want to risk an injury at an olympics so therefore, they say that they have the right to say that they can't play. Now, for our development, though, like it's it's easy. Like they've started to do better scholarships for Canadian athletes, but at the same time, you know, I think it's like five hundred bucks. But at this, it's it's a tough it's a tough one. But it's all about money. Mm hmm. Um. And and so. It's 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 interesting you say that there'll never be a situation where these kids don't get paid because I look at a sport like hockey where it like Canada is equal to I mean by most measures better than the US at producing talent and yep. honestly just um kind of popularity in general 
the major junior um, league in Canada, which of course is this, is split up into a Western League, an Ontario League, and a uh, Eastern Canadian League, Quebec, and the Maritimes. Those leagues, which are junior leagues, I believe the players get paid. And if you were the same age and you went to the U.S. to play in the NCAA, of course you don't get. Uh, we, we you, you kind of discussed how they they get paid, but they don't really get paid. It's it's not an actual salary. It's just it's just a scholarship, right? Yep. And so I was just wondering if, if you think that something like that could work, or do you think that the basketball is tied too heavily to being played by the schools? Because of course, major junior would be high schoolers and they play out they, they, they play for a team rather than their school I think basketball is still too new for like hockey's had generations for it to grow the yep. OHL and the QHL and all those the leagues you're talking about the WHL, yep. um, basketball is still too new the the G League is a start to the OHL but just look at the volumes of teams it's not even it's not even comparable Um It'll come eventually, like more kids, as basketball stays popular and, and we have more success of a Jamal Murray's and other kids that from small towns can go on and play, they're going to be looking for more places to play. Canadian University talented kids are going to want to keep playing the game longer. I just think we're too new as a basketball for these things to happen. But But again, in your lifetime... There is now a Canadian Basketball League, and yeah. not, not the CBA, but an actual like the Titans. Like twenty years ago, that was never even a thought. Forty years ago, it's like that'd be a laughing stock in the world. No one would want to play basketball in Canada, and now you've got it starting. I just, I just think it's too new, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take more success. Um, I think Carlton has helped build that with Canadian universities as well by playing against Amer like again they're playing against American universities and winning some of them so it's not a laughing stock of though there's just the Canadian kids that can't really play and they got nowhere else to go like they're starting to compete which which will shine more eyes on it more kids are going to want to play more kids wanting to play you're going to get more talent it's that snowball effect is Carleton the university that has that really interesting style of play where they force people to their off hands? Yeah, they only force. Yeah, you have to force everyone left. Yeah, um, how, do, how much do you know about that? Uh, like, how do you feel about that approach? Do you want to talk about it? Explain what it is. Or? Uh, it's just it's <laughs> um, Dave Smart, who's not there anymore. I forget he's in the NBA somewhere. I forget what team he's helping. I thought he was with the Raptors, but that was with Dwayne Casey. So I don't actually know where he is. But anyways. Dave came out with the idea that let's force everyone to their weakest, weakest position. And, and in 90% of the world, it's forcing them left. So he developed an, a defensive schematic where they don't allow right-hand dribbles of any kind. Everything is forced left. You funnel it off your left. It's usually the tougher shot is coming off your left hand to your right and up, as opposed to just bouncing up. Um, that's all it is. It's just, they consciously work on schematics. If the ball's here, this is where you're forced to be. Here's where the help is coming from. Um, but it is. It's it's just... And again, that goes back to your question, can X's and O's be taught, or do you just have to have it? That is drilled in their head every day. 
Ball's here. Here's where you stand. Ball's here. Here's where you stand. Ball's now over here. Here's where you stand. Like, that's just a skill that's taught. Yeah. What do you like about yeah. it? What not? At his level, sure, it's worked wonderful. At our level, I'm not sure Sammy knows which one is his left hand or his right hand, so it's not something I could do. Yeah, makes sense. Sure. Yeah, so he would be like a, a revolutionary coach in Canada. Do you like have any coaches in general that inspire you to coach the way you do? Um. Well, you always look back at at who you've had. Um, I had two different coaches at high school, um, Mr. Fraser and Mr. Roos. I absolutely loved Mr. Roos. He he was a quiet guy that let you kind of explore what you were doing. Mr. Fraser was slightly more controlled, um, but that was fine. I had a club coach that I adored with uh, Detroit, Mr. Johnson, who he allowed you, again, the same thing. He allowed you to explore within what he was trying to do. Um, he was the first person that kind of did not punish for the, for the sake of punishment. Um, he was my first coach that ever kind of just said, mistakes happen. Here's how you have to recover from it. And he's the one I used to, I hate suicides. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't understand why you would force a kid just to run because you're mad at them or they made a mistake. I don't understand how a suicide fixes the mistake you're trying to correct. So whenever we would do punishment, early when I had knees at work, I would do the punishment with the kids. And I got that from, from Mr. Johnson. He fully admitted that as a coach, you're going to make mistakes and that sometimes you should have to be punished for it too. So if I'm going to punish the kids for a, a mental mistake, that as a coach, I should be punished as a mistake too. So I used to run run whatever punishment we decided, whatever it was, 20 push-ups, the, the squats, the, the dribbling stuff that I do with my guys now. So uh, Mr. Johnson was a great coach. And then I've always respected, um, there were some university coaches along the way. Um, Fred, uh, oh, what's Fred's last name? Fred from Michigan State was phenomenal in just sitting to talk to him as a coach. Um, but again, they're at a different level cerebrally on how to play basketball and what to do. And then the other part of it is I also have coaches I don't like. Um, you're, you're going to meet all those people in life as you go. And I never wanted to be that person. Um, I don't like yelling at a child. I, I don't. Uh, now, Sammy right now will probably be frowning because I equate mocking a kid for making a mistake is different than flat out yelling at a kid. Like those are two different things in my head. Do you want to expand on that? <laughs> I'm sure Sammy wants me to. Um, kid dribbles off his left foot by accident. There are coaches that will scream at him for bouncing it off his foot. I won't yell at you for dribbling off your foot, but I'm going to make fun of you that you look like an idiot trying to dribble with your foot. <laughs> and I will usually get the response I just got. My way got the kid to at least giggle. Yeah. Understanding that, yes, we all know a mistake happened. I know you didn't mean to do it. So try to be better or try to be more careful. 
that to me is different than the guy that just sits on the sideline in an angry face and screams at kids. And then at the same token, I've had both coaches and I truly, as a person, hated the one guy that just yelled at me when I missed a shot. It's not like I woke up that morning and said, on the third bounce on the fifth play of the game, I'm going to mm-hmm. purposely miss that shot. Uh, Sammy you don't make every shot. Well, no, well, the, well, the greatest player to ever play the game, and I will just say Michael Jordan for now, and I, we can argue about this later if you want. Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made. If the greatest player to ever play missed more shots than he made, how can I ever be angry at a kid, at a kid in Kitchener who makes a mistake or misses a shot? Like that, just like as soon as you put it in that perspective, it's kind of funny when you put it like that. It, move on. He missed a shot. He'll get another shot. It wasn't your fault as a coach. You got him the shot, so therefore you did your job. He just missed a shot. Now, if he misses a hundred shots, Sammy, then we don't put him in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, um, just kind of expanding on what you said about kind of uh, making a kid laugh versus yelling at them. It, you know, if you make a joke, you get them to laugh. Yes. In their head. My point is made. Right? <laughs> but, that, but that's the thing, right? It, they, if you yell at a kid, they can go, oh, well, that coach is wrong. They're just mad. All these yeah. reasons. If a kid laughs, they go, well, I did think it was funny. Like, there's no. Yeah. And then they go, well, why was it funny? Well, yeah. Generally, it's probably because you made a mistake. Yeah, and and then and then you can you can start at that was funny, and then work backwards, and in the end you'll generally end up with something productive. And I, I think that's kind of what the what you were hinting at with the, the the difference between the two and why one is better than the other. This is a game; it's supposed to be fun. Let's have mm-hmm. fun. Like I remember, I honestly right. took a timeout once just to mock a kid that made him like just did something absolutely stupid. Took a complete timeout, <laughs> called the team over. And it was literally, did you really just do that? Did his name start with an S-A-M? No, I don't think I've done it to Sammy, but I might have. It's not something I'll do it all the time. Like, My job is to make kids enjoy what they're doing as well as in improving them. If they improve but hate the game and don't want to play anymore, I've failed as a coach. If I can make them better and make them love the game even more than what they have, I'm the best coach there is. Yeah. So you're talking like earlier about how your your coaching style changes with the different yes. levels that you coach. Yes. Do you think that approach would change as well? Like for example, if you're coaching I don't know, like at the university level, do you still want to joke with those people who are almost adults or are adults? It would depend on like again, that's a relationship you have to build. Now, do you start out that way? No. But do you slowly build it into who you are? If it's successful, yes. If it is not successful, then you have to adapt as a coach on how you communicate. I remember there was a girl, and we won't use names for this one, but there was a girl at KCI that hated me as a coach because I would not yell at her. And we finally had to have that conversation to for her world to be happy I had to be sterner with her than I was with the rest of the team. So at a university level, and I have had offers, the University of Waterloo, Tom Keyswater asked me to join his staff. I I turned him down, but that was one of the things we had talked about, as he said, like you're going to have to change some of your conversations again because you're not dealing with high school kids that don't know how to play. 
you're dealing with the next 5% that all know how to play at high school, like you're going to have to start talking at a more intellectual level. And again, it just becomes like at a, at a high school age, you guys are looking at one play, maybe two plays in advance. At a Canadian university, they're looking three, four, five plays. Like you're doing this because it's going to cause this, which is going to cause this. Mm-hmm. At Michigan State, you're looking honestly. They, we talked about it in our sessions. I'm looking 20 seconds ahead of what I'm actually doing now. What I'm doing now is already forecasted the next motions in play. That means he's going to be there now, which means he's going to be coming there, which is my third, fifth option. At a high, like, like. I would ask you, Sammy, when you played, I doubt you really ever thought beyond a second option. The higher you go, the higher and the more options you have to be aware of. And as a coach, I have to be more prepared to teach those other options in the same instance you're dealing with the first option. But why do you think you, why did you uh, turn down that opportunity? I turned down because I just. There were two reasons. The first one was, had I left KCI, there was going to be no coach, and I was coaching both teams at the same time. And I wasn't about to let a program that I had kind of start to build just to fall apart. I'm sure somebody would have picked it up, and I don't want to be so vain to think that no one else could do what Whitey did. But at the same time, there was no one really looking to even step up to say they wanted to coach. The other part of it was, I wasn't... I didn't want to be that coach. I still love the high school game where in all truthfulness, it does not matter if you win or lose. It matters if you're having fun and kids are getting better. As soon as you start getting paid to coach, you better win. And you're answering to people if you're not winning. And you're not answering to fans. You're not answering to parents. You're answering to the man writing the check. Like, why are you not successful? What are you doing wrong? Have you have you had any wild uh, conversations, conflicts with uh, parents or fans? Oh, uh, yeah, very much so. And uh, you want to you want to get you want to give us uh, <laughs> you, you want to give us a little. Oh my lord! <laughs> um, what haven't I been accused of? Let me uh, let me say this because you know there's a lot of accusations. As as a coach, you got to build that thick skin. What's the most upset you've ever got at a parent or fan? Uh, I I was accused of being racist. Elaborate. I I coached a club team. Um, the again they were younger. They would have been grade. Matthew wasn't in high school yet, so it had to be grade six or seven. And the the, the child in question, again, as a grade six, he was out there because he was having fun and he wasn't there for basketball. And again, he was athletic. You took him, you put him in scenarios where he couldn't hurt you. But there were key opportunities where when he is not playing, mom and dad start to question why, why is my little son not playing? Like in my eyes, he's the best player in the world. You have those conversations with parent, and it's simply like, I need him to do this. He's not doing this. That's why, and I, I am very big on explaining your role. I think that is the key to coaching as a player, knowing what my job is, knowing what numbers I'm supposed to be producing. 
And I think Sammy will back me that in Sammy's time as, as, as I've had him as a coach, I have consistently said to him, here's what I need out of you. This is what you should be producing to get time. If you're not meeting those numbers, I need to find someone that's going to help the team to do that so that we are winning at a club scenario. So to continue the story, he was there just to have fun. And I remember that this after, after a game we lost and it was close and I left the boy out there to make the mistake. And then I took him out because he made the mistake. And so he didn't play the last three minutes. This parent, you could see it coming and you can always see the angry parent because they just, they look angry. Storms across the gym. It was at Cameron, I think, and just starts yelling at me in front of both teams, in front of the kids, calling me a racist. So, again, because I'm a smart ass, I just looked at him and I said, is that truly what you think? And he said, well, that's the only reason I can think of. So I turned to the other four black and brown kids on my team and said, am I a racist? Because you guys seem to be playing. And I walked away. He no longer, he took his kid off my team. He didn't want me coach anymore, which is fine. That's your right as a parent. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, I don't, I personally don't like to deal with parents to begin with. I'm not coaching them. Now, if they have a complaint or wish, wish to vent a complaint about what I've said or what I've done, that is my job to handle that conversation and have that conversation. But the conversation is about playing time. No, no. That's between your son or daughter and me. And if your son and daughter wants to question that, it is my job to answer your son or daughter, not you. And, you know, the uh, kind of over-controlling crazy parents, I play hockey. Yeah. Oh, yes. You've got a few of those. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Like the cowbell mom. You know, yep. ringing that thing the whole game until her son uh, doesn't get a doesn't get like a double shift or misses yep. a shift. Then then the cowbell starts uh, stops ringing and you know it keeps going. What I wanted to say is, um, I've experienced coaches that have a twenty four hour rule, where of course as your uh, as a coach it's a responsibility um, to deal with these problems. But they would always say, hey, wait, uh, give it a day, sleep on it, right? Because sometimes you know. And in the heat of the game, right at the end, we can all be a little fired up. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, Do you have any feelings towards that? So, again, I'm getting old, and I will forget what it is that the question is going to be. So I've met many people that have said the same. You should do the 24-hour rule. Like, they can't talk to you for 24 hours. And I'm like, but then they're going to forget. So that either means one of two things. It means the problem wasn't important at the time, but then that doesn't solve the problem. It just ignores it so the parent will be the same way again when they get in that exact same moment again. So I'm okay taking the problem. Again, I am wordy enough and a smartass enough that I can usually deal with these scenarios. So I've never felt threatened in any way. Um, But again, it's usually about playing time. Like That's usually all my complaints have ever been about uh, is my kid's not playing enough, my kid's not playing enough, I, he should be playing more, she should be playing more. And then as soon as you have the rationale, again, where I, I've always thrived with the idea, this is my expectation, 
are you meeting my expectation to get what you want? If the answer is yes, then I have to admit I'm wrong. And I have no problem admitting that. But at the same time, if the answer is no, you're not meeting my expectations, then I expect you to say you're wrong. And I will stand there until I get it. Yeah. So just, just moving on from that. Sure. Last year, the whole, um, the whole champ, the whole, um, Larry O'Brien trophy came to KCI. Yes, it did. Your, your relationship with John Bennett and how that all ended up happening. So John Bennett played for me years ago. Um, he made my team in grade nine as the boys. Um, He's a good kid. Um, was not very talented, but keen. Loved the game. Blue. I cut him in grade 10 because at the time when you looked at the team I had, it wasn't going to help him to be on the team. And that's a whole other discussion about how do you pick a kid or not pick a kid. But he just, I needed to cut him. I knew that was going to bother him a lot, and it did. He certainly hated me for a year or two. Um, but I went out of my way in grades, grade 10, to go talk to him to make sure he was okay. And, and in grade 11, um, went out again for the team. And I th think he made the team in grade 11, and he had uh, Mr. Hain, I think. And then in grade 12, blew his ACL, which kind of ended his career. Once he blew his ACL, I kind of brought him into the girls' season, and he was one of the assistant coaches, um, which I think he also did in grade 11 with me. Um, and so we just got he, – he was very – he had a very keen eye. Um, we became, as teacher, student, coaches, friendly friends. Um, like we'll shoot the shit whenever we see each other. He went off to Ryerson. Um, first of all, he went to Ryerson. That program was just not for him. Stayed in Toronto, went to uh, Toronto Broadcasting School, um, which no one even knew existed. Um, started to work on the... There used to be Channel 53, which was a sports network, and the, along the bottom was the sports ticker. He used to put the scores in for the, the that channel. I think it was sports something. Um and then eventually got talented at, at doing video analysis and clips that he got an interview with the, he got a call the one day one of his professors from the Toronto Raptors saying they needed someone for video analysis stuff and just to see videos for coaches. He got hired by the Raptors on a temporary contract, just streaming video stuff together, worked his way with the Raptors a couple years doing video analysis and analytics. I am pretty sure he worked the year and was part of the analytical team that won the analytics award for, for basketball. There is an actual award about just metrics. Um, and then he and I stay, have always stayed in touch. And then when the Raptors finally won, he was literally at Golden State um, when they won, was in the change room, uh, took some pictures, called me the next day just to just to, just to, just to say thanks um, and just for the support of through the years and we had been talking ever since and then the one day he truly called and said you know there may be an opportunity where I could ask to get the trophy to come back to a school would you be willing to do it and I said 
like what idiot's going to say no to that? Um, so I said to him, if you can get it, we'll arrange it. Um, we were not allowed to make a big production out of it. Uh, we didn't want it in the papers that it was coming and all this and that. He literally put it in his car, put the seatbelt around it, uh, drove to Kitchener the day that we, we did it. Um, I had arranged, uh, Huron Heights, uh, was the game that it, cause I wanted it on a game day so that I could share it with another school. Um, the, our principal was very upset cause she wanted, she was willing to give us like a half day off. Like she was willing to do assemblies about this. Like she wanted to make a very big production about the trophy coming. Uh, and I kept saying, we can't do that. We can't do that. We have to keep this low key. Um, so, and then on top of that, I also had, on that day, I had a lot of the alumni come back from his time because I wanted to give him a moment to kind of say, hey, look at me. So a lot of his friends that probably never even got to see him uh, came back as well. Like I had about 15 alumni come back um, just to see the trophy and to see him. So it turned into a, I think it was a very good day. Uh, from my end of it, it was kind of, overwhelming because you're dealing with the trophy you're dealing with you you want to celebrate john bennett and then you're going to coach two basketball games as you're trying to run an event um so casey i was very kind like the phys ed staff was very helpful the admin was very helpful um the the there was other cute stories to go with that but that's that's kind of how it was and we still keep track like he he and i uh, will text each other every now and then just how's life going and um he's now part of the raptors uh he helps do accommodations and making sure that the players have what they need um player uh, player development i think is now kind of like do you have an apartment do you do you know what gym you're going to do you have a do, what chef are you eating with are you doing like what do you need for your life as a, as a pro athlete to be functional so i think that's kind of what his job is now yeah i'll, I'll always remember the speech before practice when you all told us that <laughs> The trophy was coming tomorrow, and we couldn't tell anyone. <laughs> Did you tell any other teachers? Like, personally, I'm just interested. Because I remember being in my, my last period history class, and then Mr. Court says, Sammy, we have to have a talk outside. <laughs> and everyone thought I was in trouble, and then he whispers in my ear. He's like, is the, is the trophy really coming? So I have no idea how we found out. <laughs> so there were there were there there are certain, again, there are certain staff members that are basketball fans that had that trophy gone through KCI and they not know about it. I'm not sure I would be talked to again by some of them. Like is a perfect example. You would not look at Miss and say she is a basketball fan. She is a basketball diehard. And I, uh, she's a French immersion teacher and I had to go tell her because like if, if she had not known that that was coming, like she would hate me. I'm, so I, mean, there, I'm, there, I might I might cut her name out just that's just fine for the jokes yeah <laughs> just so, to frustrate the, is ever listening but there were people that needed needed to know and and there were people that I think needed like I told them in advance so that they could go get their kids yeah like I told Miss Werner flat out like the first day it was happening so that she could go get her kids because Miss Werner and I are very good friends I told Miss uh, Miss Drosher so that she could bring her kids because that would mean the world to her kids. I told Mr. Um, oh, dear Lord, who's the geography guy? Um, 
I told his geography teacher because, like, again, he's a diehard Raptors fan. And if he found out that I had the trophy there and he didn't at least get to go look at it. And then, again, I also think we lucked out in Huron Heights because Mr. Matura is a very large basketball fan, and he knew how significant it was. And to his credit, he did not tell his team until they were on the bus coming to KCI. Yeah. I saw lots of Instagram posts after saying, out of all the schools in Wixa, how, how did KCI get the trophy? And, uh, well, I mean, now everybody knows. There's the story behind it. it it's, it's a great story. It's a feel-good story. It's one that makes you proud to go to KCI and to have this awesome KCI basketball coaching department. And with that, I'm, we're going to ask you our last question of the pod, which we have done on our other interview, and we plan to do on every interview, we just want to ask you, why do you do the work that you do? Uh, I, I coach because someone else did it for me. So who am I not to do it for the next one's coming? It's the same lesson that I hope I instill in my players. That, And I don't care if it's basketball, but I do think that there is a pay-it-forward attitude that should be taken in athletics and in youth. Somebody has gone out of their way for you at some point in your life, why are you not doing the same for them? I love that. All right. Thanks for coming on. This was a ton of fun. Any opportunity I get to throw jabs at Sammy, hear people (laughs) throw jabs at Sammy, you know I'm going to end up smiling. Um, And, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to edit this one, get this one out. So, yeah, just big thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for, uh, for asking me, boys. Thank you. All right.